Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Happy Memorial Weekend. My name is Aaron Nelson, and I get the opportunity to work with the Salt Company here at Hill City, uh, which is our college ministry. I've been doing that for coming up on two years now. And Daniel and I started talking a couple weeks back about me coming and doing a standalone sermon this week. Um, and originally, we were trying to figure out, okay, what do we want to do? Like, where should I go? And I was talking about some of the things that I had been li- learning in the, the forgiveness series these past three weeks. And so just through some convictions I had, I had talked with Daniel about kind of what I thought God had said in my heart. Um, and so we decided this, this isn't part of the forgiveness series, but it's kind of like an encore to the forgiveness series. Um, and so I'm excited for what what's, we're going today, but let me pray before we get started. Dear Lord, thank you for being a great God. Thank you for redeeming us by your blood, allowing us to step into um, relationship with you because of you sending your son. I pray as, as we enter into today that you are here, your present Lord, may you speak through me, may you give me words. And may we enjoy our weekends. In your name I pray. Amen. How does it end when the war that you're in is just you against you? You've got to learn to love, but learn to love your enemies too. It's a song by Andrew Peterson titled, Be Kind to Yourself. And as I was preparing for the message today, I I looked at his inspiration. He has an article on his inspiration as to why he wrote this song. And I think it just speaks really loudly and really clearly as to the purpose. So I'm going to read a section from that article. Peterson says, I was driving home from the studio one night, thinking about my little girl, Skye, who is 12 years old and just precious and sweet and also really emotional. Like a lot of girls her age, she's going through changes. She had a night where she was upset about something, and I saw a turn happen where whatever she was upset about externally suddenly turned inwards. She was no longer upset about something, but she was upset and hard on herself. I remember being her age, and I also remember being the age that I am now, not liking myself very much, thinking if only God had made me different, I wouldn't annoy my friends so much. I can be really hard on myself, and seeing it happen with her really broke my heart. I was talking with her and told her she needs to be kind to herself, and I prayed with her. When I came to bed, my wife said she hoped I had paid attention to the words I had said to my daughter, because these are the words that are spoken over me. Powerful. And over the past few weeks, as we've looked towards forgiveness and what forgiveness looks like as we extend it to others and also ask for forgiveness from others, We've talked about what the heart posture is in that and the practical approach to that, and those are things that we are all working on in ourselves. But here's often what I think is the harder battle that we enter into, is addressing the shame and the self-hatred of ourselves for our mistakes, the way we hate ourselves and our sin. And I'm not sure what it is for anybody here. Everybody has different shame and regret spots in their life. One of the ways for a lot of people is you have regret over how you've hurt others, Right, the ways that you've done a mistake on behalf of someone else, like your actions and your behaviors, whether that's a spouse, uh, your kids, your parents, maybe siblings or friends, just things you've done that have hurt someone else. There's also a shame area for a lot of us. I know I have felt this in my life. The shame in which how I feel like I've disappointed God. 
the way that I've let God down in my actions, right? Something I've done behind closed doors, which might not affect someone directly, but in my head, I've determined, well, I've let down God. I've disappointed God. And that can be things like greed, rage, fantasies, whatever that might be, just ways that you've looked in which you think you have failed God. When we feel this way, it creates shame. We feel shame. And it's a weight that is put on our shoulders of shame and, and hating ourselves for what we've done. And, and the thing about hating ourselves is it's, it's the way of making ourselves pay. Right? Self-hatred is this thing that it makes us feel like we're actually getting justice for what we've done. The way we've hurt others, the way we've disappointed God, it's justice. But here's the thing with shame. Shame, shame is so, it's, it's such a good strategy by evil. Shame takes a broken action and turns it into a broken identity. Right, so, so shame, what it does, is it takes an action of like, I did something bad. We've all been here. We've, we've all done things bad that we regret and are shameful. And it takes this bad action, it takes it out of an action, it turns it into an identity. Instead of I did something bad, listen to this small difference. I am bad. They're different. It takes it from a broken action to a broken identity. And it starts this shame, this shame cycle. Right, if I made a bad action or I made a bad mistake... And it turns into, I am bad. And then it turns into you hating yourself. You hate yourself for being bad. And here's the reality, and please, please hear the posture that say this, because this is what I still struggle with in my own life as I look at my shame, is the thing with choosing self-hatred is that it can be prideful and selfish. Self-hatred is prideful and selfish. I know that's a really strong statement, but... Here's the heart behind it. It's prideful to think that God has given us the judgment of not guilty in refusing it. We refuse that. C.S. Lewis says it this way. I love this quote. It smacked me in the face when I read it. If you can't forgive yourself, but God has forgiven you, then you are setting yourself at a higher standard than God himself. That hit me hard. What we want to do and why it's prideful is we want to take God off of the judge's seat and place ourselves on it. Say, I have a better understanding of justice than God himself. I, I know what I deserve. God doesn't. And God says, that's not true. I've made that judgment. And it's selfish in the way of if you spend your time beating yourself up and hating yourself and tearing yourself down, that could be time and energy that is spent towards building of the kingdom. You see, evil does this thing where it wants you to remain in the regret of your past so it can contain God's use of you in the future, right? Evil wants you to remain in this, all the things I hate about myself that I've done. I've done all these things and, and I dislike myself and I'm just going to spend all my time thinking and regretting and sitting in this instead of stepping into what God has in store for you in the future. Evil wants us to condemn ourselves. But it's these exact feelings of shame and self-hate that cloud our ability to not only live out forgiveness, right, what we've talked about over these last three weeks, living out forgiveness for others and asking for forgiveness ourselves, but also living in forgiveness. That we ought to have been forgiven. But to live in forgiveness, we have to face our sin and mistakes. But God has a design for how to address sin and mistakes that doesn't include shame, that has removed shame. And Paul in 2 Corinthians takes us 
to a text where he kind of addresses what it looks like to address shame. It's going to be 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11, if you guys want to turn there. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11. It says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief, that's what, we, what, what I was talking about earlier, right? Shame. Worldly grief produces death. It produces this feeling in us of I deserve to be hated. I deserve to be judged. Um, I don't deserve forgiveness. And it creates shame in us. Worldly grief is what produces bitterness and uh, resentment, right, either towards others, but it's also what creates resentment and bitterness towards ourselves, that shame. And here's the thing about worldly grief is that worldly grief actually leads us to apathy. Shame leads us to apathy usually in one of two ways. It either leads us to self-loathing Self-pity, which makes us take no action. It requires nothing of us but besides hating ourselves. That's what gives us the excuse to stay at home and not address the things that are in our life. Or it leads us to pretending nothing's wrong. Right? We pretend like either we didn't make mistakes or we, we don't have any shame. And the reality of that is, is that's just not true. We have it in our lives and we have to address it. But Paul brings up this idea of godly grief godly grief. And, and as I was considering this topic, and I actually, I got to read an email from somebody in our church that kind of talked about grief and as they were, what they were learning in the forgiveness series. And, and he pointed back to the story of Peter, like Peter's story of grief. You see, Peter has a really interesting relationship with grief. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to actually kind of follow Peter's story of grief. So Peter and Luke, um, Jesus comes to him and tells him, hey, I'm praying for steadfast faith for you in the days to come. And, and Peter, being Peter, like, Jesus, what do you mean I die for you? I die for you. And as the night continues, Jesus gets arrested. Before that, Jesus has told Peter, listen, before the night ends, you will have denied me three times. Night goes on, Jesus gets arrested. And a servant girl comes up to Peter. She says, I've, I've seen you with that man, Jesus. Peter's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Another person comes up to Peter around more people. I've, he's, re, he's associated with that Jesus guy. Peter's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And the third time, someone comes up. I've seen him with Jesus. And in the middle of Peter, as he's denying that again for the third time, he hears the rooster crow. And Peter finishes his denial. And it says that after he had denied Jesus and heard the rooster crow, he went out and wept bitterly. Can't imagine the shame that Peter must have felt. As I was reading this and, and reflecting on this, like I just, the weight that must have been on his shoulders 
after he realized what he had done, must have been unbearable. I mean, this, this is the guy who's been around since the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is the guy who's known as the spokesperson for the disciples. This is the guy that Jesus had renamed to Peter the rock, and that rock was going to be the rock that Jesus built his church upon. Can you imagine the shame he had when he denied any affiliation with him? Must have been overwhelming. Peter had to be so ashamed. Here's the reality. I've done things where I think I have felt similar to Peter. Growing up, I had a little sister, and I treated her horribly for most of my teenage years. Horribly. And I had, I had just unbelievable shame over that. Um, and I, I felt unforgivable for that. I also had things in my life like my mom used to tell me that it was illegal to turn the lights on in the car at night when we were driving. And I thought that was an unforgivable sin. To find out 10 years later, that's literally no big deal at all. But I thought it was definitely unforgivable. And here's the reality. God knows our struggle with shame in our lives. Like he understands what that is, but that's just how Jesus knew Peter was struggling with shame. Jesus knew Peter struggled with shame after this. We go to the Gospel of John. This is after Jesus has resurrected and he appears to the disciples. Right? And the disciples are like, Jesus is here. This is crazy. We have a meal. And then Jesus intentionally seeks out Peter. And he comes to Peter and he says, Simon, son of John. Simon is Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter being Peter again, like, you know I love you. Again, Jesus asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, Jesus, you know I love you. And the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says this time that Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved. He realized there was room for doubt. He realized his shame. And his response was different this time. Instead of just, Jesus, you know I love you, he says, Lord, you know everything. You know my brokenness. You know my sin. You even know my denial. But yet you know I love you. Just as Jesus knew Peter would deny him three times, Jesus also knew Peter needed to step back into the forgiveness that was provided by the death and resurrection of Jesus. He knew he needed that extension and invitation to be forgiven. Jesus knew Peter's shame. And Jesus has walked with Peter in stepping into this godly grief process. So I ask how, right? Like, I don't know if anybody is like me in this room, but I would love to get the opportunity to grieve over my shame with Jesus face-to-face like Peter. It sounds pretty great to me. But how, what does that look like for me, right? How, how do I step into godly grief myself? Well, here's, here's a starting spot. Here's a place to start. First, you need to readdress your shame. You need to readdress your shame. You need to recognize that it's there. I, I get so tired of hearing the term, I'm over it. No, you're not. If you don't address shame, you're not over it. 
It just sits there and it grows and it grows and it continues to grow upon that self-hatred of yourself. You need to readdress it. Jesus readdresses it with Peter here. Right? He has him step back into the shame. Do you love me? Another place, allow others to speak into your shame. This has been absolutely game-changing for me in my relationship with my shame. Allowing others to step into it and see what I can't see in my shame, to call out what I haven't been able to call out. We look at, even with Peter, like Jesus after this speaks into Peter. Right? He speaks kindness and compassion over Peter. And he gives him the opportunity here. Okay, you have a decision. You can agree with Jesus or you can agree with evil. I'm sure, I'm sure evil had a lot of things to say to Peter after that. A lot of lies after that. And Jesus has him sit there and be spoken over. You need to allow others to speak to your shame. Make the choice to put God on the judge's seat or yourself on the judge's seat. But here's the thing. Godly grief doesn't leave us stagnant. Right? We don't just go through this grieving process to say, okay, I've grieved, it's all good. No, godly grief leads us to action. Worldly grief leads us to apathy, but godly grief leads us to action. And that first action is repentance. Right? We go back to that 2 Corinthians text, verse 9. Paul writes, as it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, so grieving itself is not the goal. He's not, re- he's not rejoicing that they were grieved. But because you were grieved into what? To repenting. Growing up, um, four or five years ago even, I had a pretty dogmatic and harsh relationship with grace. Right? Grace for me was something I I pushed aside because I was like, listen, we need to live in truth and truth only. Um, Grace is a slippery slope. Right? You give someone an inch, they'll take a mile. Dogmatic view of it. I struggle with this idea of, like, what's the difference between gospel grace and, like, what the world calls self-love? Like, what are the differences? I've been told to hate my sin, and so I'm like, what grace? This doesn't, I don't understand this looking at yourself with kindness. We need to look at our sin harshly. But as I've continued to understand this, and I've realized something, the call isn't to stop hating your sin. The call is to stop hating yourself. That's the difference. It's small, but not to stop hating your sins, it's to stop hating me, hating who I am, hating the identity I have been given. See, when we truly live in the forgiveness of God, you're able to see this gospel identity that you've been given. That's when you're living in the forgiveness. The forgiveness that says there is no condemnation. It's gospel identity of, yes, I'm broken, and sinful, but I have been given a new identity. And through that gospel identity, your understanding of your brokenness grows, and through that you understand, I need to readdress my sin. There's actions that follow. The second thing we see from Paul in verse 10, he says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regrets. I didn't know this for a long time. 
You can lead a life without regret. You can lead a life without shame. You can lead a life without hating yourself. And a life that is in constant pursuit of being outside of shame can be easily used by Jesus. As you see the compassion of Jesus for yourself, it's really easy to see compassion for others, right? Like, oh yeah, God's, God's forgiven that. It's a lot harder when you reflect it on yourself. Right? We don't believe we're as deserving as compassion as everyone else's. But as you start to realize that compassion for yourself, you can start to step into your future, step into your calling. Right? We say a lot here, your calling comes from your story. Your story are those shame stories in your life. That is part of your story. That is part of who you are. Like I said earlier, evil wants you to remain in this regret of your past so that God can contain, so that evil can contain God's use of you in your future. We look at Peter. That, that's what's crazy to me. We look at Peter. What does Jesus do with Peter afterwards? As he's speaking over him, he leads him from the action of repentance, of giving him the opportunity to be forgiven to, okay, here's what's next. Here's what is next for you. He says, lead, he pretty much says, lead my people. He says, turn away from your old motivations and take on kingdom motivations. He says, follow me. This is the same guy that just denied Jesus three times. That's, that's crazy to me. Jesus forgives him of his past and says, okay, now step into what you're really called into. Like I said earlier, I, uh, I had a younger sister growing up. Um, and I was a single child for a really long time. If anybody else can relate to that, when that gets ruined, you don't like that very much. So I went from a single child to now having a sister eight, eight years younger than me. And she took a lot of the attention that I had for a very long time, got all of. So I wasn't very happy with that. Really excited at first, but that quickly wore off. And over the years, I hated her. And I despised her for taking my place as the child that was loved or what I thought as the child that was loved. And I just hated her. And man, I treated her so poorly. Like as I reflected on it, just every time I would look back on it, I was embarrassed to even think of that being part of my story. And just for years, heaps of shame on my shoulders. Anytime I thought about my relationship with her. And that went all the way from like 10 into my mid to late teenage years. And I finally recognized the root of it. At the beginning, yes, I didn't like her because she took my spot. But as time went on, it went from not liking her to not liking myself. Because I didn't like myself for how I had treated her. I thought it was embarrassing and shameful. I was ashamed of how I had treated her. And so until I realized the root was self-hatred in myself, for a long time we were very distant. I wanted nothing to do with her. As soon as I started stepping into that self-hatred of myself and, and allowing others, as soon as I started to readdress it and allow others to speak into, is when I was finally able to start to inch closer to her. 
just take steps towards her. And we, over time, just slowly became closer and closer. Now, don't get me wrong. She still drives me insane. I love her. And without being able to readdress the self-hatred I had for myself, we would still be very distant from each other. And as I was preparing for today, I, I came across Acts 10.9, where Peter has had a vision. And I was reflecting on my relationship with my sister. And, and, and to be honest, like, I say that story as, as, as if I've addressed all that. I'm still very much addressing some of that in myself of my relationship with my sister. That's not a process that's finished, but I reflected on a text as I was studying. Acts 10 and 9, it says, you know, Peter had a vision. God tells Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter responds to God, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. God's response, what God has made clean, not call common. And this is, this is out of context for what it was actually talking about. But for me, as I read this, and I was reflecting on this, it hit me so hard. Because in that moment, all I could think of, if I have been called clean, why do I insist on calling myself dirty? If the God of heaven and earth has looked at me with a sense of kindness and compassion, then why can I never do the same for myself? And I was just swept over with his grace. We're going to be a church that forgives each other. We have to be able to live in forgiveness for ourselves. Right, to, to be a church, we have to be able to have relationships with another, right? To be human is to live in forgiveness. If we're gonna be able to do that, we have to be able to live in forgiveness for ourselves as well. Forgiveness is not just for others. But it is because of the gospel that we can forgive others, but it is also because of the gospel that we too can accept forgiveness for ourselves. I reflect over Peter's story. And I think, can you imagine what could have happened if Peter wasn't able to step into forgiveness with Jesus? Who knows where it would be? Who knows what Peter would have done? What do we have first and second Peter? When thousands of people came to know the Lord at Pentecost, what would the church look like without Peter? Can you imagine if Peter himself wouldn't have stepped forgiveness of Jesus? My fear is that there are people in this room that evil is doing that with, that evil is keeping you from doing what God has called you into. And the prayer is that you can look at yourself with the same kindness, passion that Jesus does. You can forgive because you've been forgiven. Can you live in that forgiveness?